Exceeding Expectations, episode 85. When you're dealing with clients, you must always think two steps ahead. You must think about what it is that they are expecting and make sure you meet that expectation before they have to ask for it. Now, that's not about necessarily going out there and doing work that they're not expecting you to do, but it's about um, making sure that you're in constant contact, that they that they understand where you are at in a certain process, that they can see how long it's going to take, they can feel comfortable that things are being done, that there's constant reporting so that they never feel like things aren't happening, uh, and that, you, know, and that you, you help them to understand exactly what has happened, why it's happened, and what the impact of that has been. That was the voice of Alex Musco, today's guest, who talks about exceeding expectations from the world of PR. And this is the podcast where we aim to give you ideas how you can get better referrals, better testimonials by giving your customers such a fantastic experience that they tell the world about how fantastic you are. If you do like this episode, please do share it with someone who may get particular value from some of the uh, the great suggestions that Alex gives. And why not subscribe and leave a review? Give us some critique. Tell us how this could be improved. What elements do you like? Maybe what elements do you dislike? Are there any particular people you would like to hear being interviewed on this podcast? All of those things really help. You can do that on the Facebook group, which is called Exceeding Expectations, or you can just email me at tony at exceedingexpectations.me.me. Hope you enjoy this week's show with Alex Mosco. Exceeding Expectations, my guest today, Alex Mosco. How are you, Alex? I'm very well, Tony. How are you doing? I'm pretty good, and you're in a sunny, boring wood. I am, and it is indeed sunny today. In fact, it's been a, a lovely week so far. And is that where you? Is that where you're from? Uh, not originally, no. I'm from just around the corner from Whetstone uh, in North London, and uh, but my family and I moved out to Bournemouth about six, seven years ago. It's a nice, sunny little suburb just outside of London. Uh, lots of parks and green spaces, um, and it's where I have. Uh, my office or part of my office, so I work from home and from town. Uh, so it's really cool because Barnwood's basically 20 minutes outside of King's Cross as long as the Thames Link is working. Well, and, and when things are normal? When <laughs> things are normal, which they most certainly aren't at the moment. But, uh, you know, it's interesting for me because, uh, you know, I do work, I probably work from home uh, half the week. So I'm kind of used to it. The routine, uh, you know, had, being on conference calls, uh, working with virtual teams, it's all part of what I do. So that part of it is, has been more straightforward. Uh, mm. But I think the social aspects are the hardest bit of this and uh, not being able to, you know, not being able to see grandparents, um, not being able to pop out for a curry with your mates and, and just that general downtime that you normally have. Uh, mm. So that I think that's, that's probably the, the hardest thing about this whole lockdown business. And what about business-wise? How's that affecting you? Well, I mean, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Uh, you know, we, we're, we're doing everything we can do to, to maintain business as usual, uh, but mm. this is far from business as usual. So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, what's interesting about times like this um, and, and I, was, I was writing a piece for a client today, actually, where they're doing a huge amount of innovation. There's a huge amount of innovation going on within the business anyway, but, uh, and they're a very technical business and, and 
during this time, they've had to innovate even more, right? Because they can't uphold business as usual. There's usually, say, a thousand, fifteen hundred development uh, people working in the business at any one time, and suddenly mm. all of these people are having to to work from home. And so there's a huge amount of innovation going on uh, in and out of the business, especially right now. And and I was writing a piece for them, and it occurred to me that. Uh, a phrase occurred to me, which is necessity is the mother of all invention, right? And and these are necessitous times, right? In terms of we, there's nothing we can do to control what's happening. We are being forced to adopt different ways of working and different ways of living. And because of that necessity, actually, there's a lot of innovation that's happening because you know when 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 you've got business as usual. Typically, things don't change a great deal because you are just operating as you always have. Now, as soon as business as usual is not possible, then you find yourself in a situation where you have to innovate. You're absolutely forced to. And you'll see, we're seeing a lot of innovation happening. And I'm seeing a lot of innovation happening with my own work. Because what you tend to do is, um, this will probably come up as we talk further, is, you know, in order to really operate well in this world, you need to focus on what you're good at and, and where you offer the most value and where you generate the greatest results. So if you know where that is, you can look at that and say, well, is that still relevant? And if it's not relevant, uh, you can tweak it and tailor it for the new kind of normal, if you like. I don't love that phrase, but for the new way that the world works. Or you can say, well, if it is working, well, you know, there's going to be a period where people are less engaged and where I'm clearly not going to be able to go out there and do as much sales and marketing as I was once doing. But actually, if something that was valuable would always remain valuable, you know, and it's just a case of reinventing, maybe innovating, tweaking, tailoring at the edges and making sure that you're always demonstrating that value. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And and for people who may now will be thinking, well, well what is it that you do? So let us, let us know what exactly is it you do. So that's, that's probably a, a, good, that's a good point, right? So uh, I have been in corporate communications and B2B public relations for about 20 years. Uh, when I started, so I was the chap who was always paired with the senior teams, the CEOs, the MDs of the client businesses, and my job was to raise their media profile. And what that typically means is that I would sit down with them, we'd have really interesting conversations, and then I, and I'd always, so, so, understanding the way that the media works. I'd always have my ear for the things that I felt would be most interesting to journalists, right? So we'd have these conversations, and my job was to package up the insights that were generated from those conversations and then sell them into the into the media to generate uh, coverage. Mm. Uh, so not really news, as people would kind of classically think about public relations, but more along this kind of idea of thought leadership and opinion and insight sharing. Mm. Um, and what I found was that uh, with a very large uh clients and large brands that I was working on. So I was working on Samsung and Toshiba and McAfee and, and large technology companies like that. Uh, what I find is, you know, you phone up the FT and say, would you like to have lunch with uh, the CEO of the UK Samsung business? And of course they'd say yes, because, you know, th- these are the leaders of industry. So I found myself having some very nice 
lunches with journalists over a couple of hours and bottles of wine, and it was wonderful. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we generate some good coverage, and there was always consistency there. But for smaller clients, it was much, much harder uh, because they don't have that cachet, you know. So the media is quite focused on the the, the, the biggest brands in the world. And, and, and although certainly today there's, there's a lot more opportunity to generate coverage, at the time it, it wasn't so easy. There was only a very specific set of media that you could go to and, and they, they, they tended towards uh, the larger, larger businesses. But what I found was that actually... No matter what size of business you were, uh, you know, if you've been doing what you're doing for a, a long time, you typically had learnt lessons, had experience, had expertise that when shared offered huge value. So it was just a case of being able to understand how to tap that value. So how do I have a good conversation with my client? How do I generate that insight? So uh, what do I need to ask them to gather the, the information I need? And then how do I package that stuff up so that we create credibility? We kind of kind of make them sound like somebody who the media would want to speak to and then offer that insight so that uh, the, the journalist is like, yeah, that sounds really interesting. We should really talk to this guy, right, or to this gal. And that was massively successful. Uh, and so, you know, found myself consistently generating great coverage for, for my clients. And, but what, obviously things have changed quite considerably over the last few years where, you know, the, the uh, dawn of the internet has created numerous platforms from which people can communicate and, and given, at, uh, given us ownership of those platforms, right? So uh, we can, we're in control of what we say, when we say it, who we say it to. Um, and and we, we, can, we can put the quality control on that. So my job has kind of expanded somewhat. So starting from that kind of much uh, more focused idea of generating insight that can then be sold into the media to generate coverage, it's now about who's the audience, where are they, what do we need to say to engage and attract that audience to our business. And that is the work that I do these days. And I mean, well, you mentioned there about how you know, PR has changed. I, mean, I, I actually did a, a diploma in PR in the mid-90s. It's unrecognisable now from what I learned in, in the 90s. What, what are the sort of biggest changes? You mentioned, obviously, the internet, social media. What, what are the biggest changes you found? Well, I mean, the, there's probably two things, right? So there's the 24-7 nature of news, right? So, mm. and, and what that's done is it's created huge amounts of opportunity. So whereas, as I say before, when things, and you know, when I started, you know, and this, I'm thinking about it, it wasn't that long ago, right? So when I probably started proper in B2B PR, because I did a stint in consumer around the millennium. So I probably started in B2B within the, the, the very early years of the noughties. And in fact, I remember joining a B2B agency. And um, I was put into the internet team, uh, as it was called at the time, which actually didn't last very long because the bubble pretty much popped as I joined. Uh, and so, uh, but that, so to kind of give you context, it was around the beginning of the millennium uh, and, and it was a time when the internet was only just uh, kind of coming to the fore. The bubble had burst, right? So Amazon had kind of uh, gone out and done its uh, initial public offering uh, and everybody realised that, you know, all of the, the share price was completely overblown, all this kind of stuff. But, but so, so we were kind of working in uh, a media landscape where there were 
where newspapers were still very prominent, where trade magazines were still very prominent, uh, and they certainly are still today. I'm not saying they're not, but that was pre- the only place to generate coverage realistically, right, as well as live events. So, um, so, so you know, it was a very, it was a very limited uh, uh, opportunity, a field of opportunity, right? There was there was only certain amount of space and uh, you know and, and chances to get coverage. Whereas today, that's completely the opposite, right? It's completely different. Uh, so you, with 24-7 media coverage, you've essentially got a huge amount. The, the, the media is demands, uh, and the audience that watch it demand huge amounts of content, which means that the media is always out there looking for experts that they can talk to. They're always looking for people who can credibly speak on specific subjects. And there are a huge number of slots within which uh, people can uh, talk about the things that they, that they know. Uh, and so there's, so there's huge amounts of opportunity within the media sphere itself. But then you look outside of the media sphere, and if you like, into this kind of digital landscape and the social landscape that we, that, that's built up. Um, and again, you've got a huge amount of options uh, for communicating to audience. You've got uh, a huge, a, 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 like, so much more control over the message and over what you say and how you say it uh, and the timing of it. Um, and, and, you know, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn uh, and, and also working from my own website. And, and, and it's really, you know, the ch- opportunity to demonstrate the value that you can offer your market uh, is, is absolutely huge. Mm. And what, what sort of clients is typically are you working with? So I've got two kinds of clients that I work with mostly. Um, I work with uh, quite large um, corporations, uh, and that's where we do a lot of our kind of uh, the media work that we do, but also do, um, you know, we do mixed kind of uh, communications where there's a lot of media work there and there's... um, and there's a fair amount of uh, social media as well, but it's very much that the media work is kind of the, the, the mainstay of what we would do. Uh, and there's a lot of execution. Whereas with, then, then the, on the other side of things, I work with uh, smaller, mid-sized businesses. And for them, and, and with solepreneurs as well, so a lot of consultants, so I work with a lot of business consultants as well. And for them, it's around kind of generating the strategy of how they communicate. So really understanding who their, what I call their sales sweet spot is, right? So what is it that they know and what is it that they're able to do and, and what is it that the approach that they take? Who are the people that are most relevant to that? So who has a problem that you are absolutely expert at fixing? And, and who are those people? What are the problems that they suffer from? What is the value that you can generate for them? Um, and it's about understanding that sweet spot and building a communication framework around it uh, and also sales collateral and a sales approach and a marketing approach so that, you know, when you go out into the market, they see you as a perfect partner for them, right? So a lot of people think that the way you dif- differentiate is through the products and services that you offer. But actually, that's very difficult to do, right? It costs a huge amount of money. I mean, if you look at uh, something like Apple, uh, you know, even they, 
if you look at their mobile phone, they find it very, very difficult to really differentiate in the, in the function of the phone, right? So, you know, it's very incremental, the change. So it's a better screen or a better camera. But really, and they're still spending millions of pounds, if not billions of pounds a year on R&D, right? But really where they differentiate themselves is through the way they communicate. And, and again, there's millions, if not billions of pounds being spelt on, spent on their marketing. So the way that a company can suitably and actually very effectively uh, uh, differentiate themselves in the market is not through what they sell, because that looks pretty similar to everybody else, although a lot of the time it isn't because of the approach they take. But the way they can do it is through how they communicate and the um, the power and of 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 being able to demonstrate empathy and 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 show you the cultural values that you have to demonstrate the uh, impact and the results that you can get. Because again, this is what people are looking for. They don't really want to spend days and days and months and months looking for the right partner. They want to very quickly look at somebody and judge whether they're right for them. And so that's what I'm helping them to do. It's all about how do I present myself to the market so that very quickly they can look at me and say, yeah, you are the perfect partner for me. And I mean, we we did some work together, and you helped me in my business. And your you, your one of your strengths seems to be um, really giving people clarity. And, I, and I, yes, yeah, so thank you for that. And I really enjoyed the work that we did together because actually it exemplifies a, a lot of what I find in the work that I do. Um, and and so just to speak to that clarity first of all, um, I don't give clarity by giving people the answer. Right, mm. uh, my job has always been about asking good questions that gets good answers, right? And what I find certainly in the more consultative work that I do is that uh, you have all the answers you need, right? But because you're so close to what you've done, who you did for, the work that you do, it's very difficult to see the wood for the trees sometimes of the direction you should be taking. Um, and, and therefore, you know, my job is to ask you good questions so that you actually come to the answers and the, the understanding of what you need to do yourself. Um, all I do is I ask you the question, I record the answer, I play it back, think about what I, what I believe to be the, the keys, and then I send them back to you and I say, this is what, what I found. What do you think? And you kind of look at it, remember what you've said, and you think, and as you're saying it, you know, you're coming up with, with these art mm. moments and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, what, but, but what I also find is that people so downplay their uh, achievements and mm. the value that they, that they prefer, present, right, and that they mm. offer. Because they've never measured it, they, and they've never asked either. Mm. And so, what I find is that I'll speak to somebody and we'll talk, and uh, you know, we'll throw loads of stuff up onto the walls based on the conversation that we're having. And they'll look at it and come, they'll go, "Wow, I never realised, I never, never truly appreciated just what my career looks like. I never appreciate just how much work that I've done and who I've done it for, and I never really understood." just what value I've delivered, right? So it's not necessarily about the results that you achieve. And we're going to talk about this a lot more. I know we are because it's kind of central to what you do. Because it's not necessarily just about the result. It's about the impact of that result as well, right? Uh, and so, you know, so as a PR man, uh, you know, a lot of results was always around, well, how much coverage did you generate, right? But coverage in and of itself isn't valuable. It's kind of like the, um, it's not the waste product, but it's kind of the thing that falls out the bottom, right? So if you do the process, right, you get coverage. 
But the mm. real value is, well, what does that coverage do for you, right? So what is the long-term impact and the, the, what, what was the meaningful result of that coverage? Mm. What did it do for the business? You know, because there was more awareness, because uh, people understood what you did better, because people understood what you're capable of, what did it achieve mm. for you? And that's the essence of value. Mm. It's not the result, but the actual impact of that result. Mm. I know you've got a good story about how you, I mean, with the theme of the show about exceeding expectations, um, you've got an example of a retail design agency you work. Yes, yeah, so, uh, and we should talk about this idea of exceeding expectations in a minute, because, uh, uh, you know, it, it, through, as, through my career, there have been, uh, I've learned lessons and I've been, you know, by managers who have taught me ways of exceeding expectations. So we should definitely look at that in a minute. But yeah, so in terms of, um, so I was working with this retail design consultancy and we, so we started off by doing pure PR, right? So generating content, we could then uh, get into the media. And, And I think that in that process in itself, it feeds in expectations, right? So they uh, had spoken to a number of different PR companies and PR people, and all those people had tried to take them down the news route, right? And the news route is, well, what's happening in your business that we can write a press release about and generate coverage off the back of, right? And, and news is very important. We do a lot of press release writing, and, and, and you know, if you write them, do write the right kind of press release, it not only gives you coverage, but it, it tells the market something important about you as well. But what, what, you know, certainly with smaller companies, the challenges they have is that they don't have as much news as your larger business or brand. So what I had, where the focus that I had, so I'm working with this, this the owner of this business, and he, I mean, he has the most inc- the most stellar career. Uh, a lot of work they do is in, is in beauty. And he's worked for some of the largest uh, beauty brands and actually you know he calls himself uh, when uh, the head of drawing uh, but actually you know he was basically he ran um, re- retail design for the for these very large businesses and so he had this huge amount of uh, experience and by sitting down with him having decent chats I was able to draw out the stories of these experiences and the lessons learned and converted it into into opinion pieces which we consistently sold into the um into the retail trade press. And so rather than, say, get a column um, in, a, a, in a page of the magazine that kind of said uh, X company has just launched Y product, you'd get a whole page or even a double-page spread, which was just them talking about it, an industry issue. So uh, so that, that was kind of, for them, that was quite mind-blowing for them because it, it wasn't quite what they expected, right? Because they expected they expected coverage and they expected a bit of news generation. What they didn't see coming was this kind of them being able to share um, share their insight. And, and I remember, uh, you know, him saying to me, we, we worked together for about five, six years, and we generated a load of coverage. And, you know, when, when, we, when we finally finished working together, it kind of says to me, you know, the coverage has been great, and we've really, uh, you know, benefited from it as a company. Uh, but what has been amazing is that because of the work that we've done together, and we did a lot of live stuff as well. So, and then that's another story in itself. I can really tell you for that. But, but we did a load of live stuff, and and it went down extremely well. And we generated a huge amount of business from from live uh, events. And and he was like, you know, so the coverage has been brilliant, and the kind of uh, getting in front of our of of uh, the 
market has been fantastic as well. But what's been great for me is that it's given me that confidence, right? So, you know, because a lot of us, we have all this stuff that we know, but we don't know how valuable it is. We worry that if we go out into the market and start talking about it, that people will have heard it all before or they'll think, Ugh, I can't believe you just said that. Well, you know, what a load of rubbish. But actually, when, when, when you package it right and you take it out in the right way, you know, it really elevates you as an expert. And so he was like, you know, I can walk into a room full of my peers or a room full of my market and feel really confident that what I have to say is a value. And for me, that was just like, you know, we're talking about meaning and impact. For me, that was just the, the, the best compliment I've ever had. I thought it's a, and that's what I want to be able to do for people. I want to give them that confidence so they can go out there and really smash it when they're, when they're talking to their market. Something you touched upon in just what you were saying just then about expectations. And um, when people come to you with uh, with PR, you know, they want you to do some PR for them. And what typically are their expectations, and what are they what do they misunderstand about what you do? So, that, I mean, that's an excellent question, right? Because there is a misunderstanding, and some. Only because things have changed quite a, a, a lot, right? So there's a misunderstanding in terms of what it is that PR does. And that's down to us to explain it, right? Because we can't expect our, our, our market to, to keep up with what the changes are. But I think the, for, for them, there's, so there's a couple of things. The first thing is that people come and their expectation, they don't necessarily expect this, but it's kind of what they want and what they think they're asking for. So what they think they're asking for is coverage in the FT, right? So here that's the whole time. So I say, okay, why do you want to do PR? Well, I want to get coverage in the FT. Okay, cool. And then, well, why do you want that? Well, because I want to get out to CEOs and lots of CEOs read the FT, don't they? Right? So it's kind of like, well, yeah, they do. But uh, what have you got that the FT is going to want, right? So I think there's a misunderstanding, A, of... Uh, what it's going to take to generate that level of coverage and also whether you actually need to because there are multiple routes now which where you could influence CEOs. Uh, and actually the most important thing is not the coverage itself but what you're saying, right? And so really what the, the starting point is not the magazine or newspaper that you want to be seen in. The starting point is, well, who is it that you want to attract? And what is it that you know that they will find of value? And then what is the best platform, the most effective platform for communicating that stuff to your audience? And then lots of the time, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not going to say to you that getting in the FT is a bad thing because obviously it's a fantastic thing to achieve. But it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, and it takes a lot of money to do it. And there are actually far better ways of communicating your message than necessarily getting a column or even half a page in um, half a page in the FT. So really, I think the, the the misconception is that PR is all about press and getting into, say, the broadcast media. And actually, you know, I'm not, that's still relevant and it's still worthwhile doing. And if it's the right thing for you, then we would certainly do that. But it's not the only thing. And actually, what you need to think about is always, who is it that you want to uh, engage and attract? Well, who do you want to influence? What do you want them to do? And, and what is it that you know that will enable you to convince them to take that action? Mm. What if you... Um, who do you prefer? Well, I mean, before I ask you about what type of clients you work with, 
what is your what kind of jobs do you really love doing uh so uh, that's a really good question um for me so i like working with businesses who are awesome at what they do but Mm. are and are looking to grow but aren't sure what they need to do to grow right so there's a number there's a there's frustration there because they are they know that they're good at what they do or they you know they kind of feel it in their bones right so it's whether 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 they'd actually go out there and say it to people i don't know and a lot of time they don't right so we're we're, we're british so we're very modest as a nation anyway um but but so yeah so these guys who are out there doing phenomenal work they've got great clients who love what they do but they're not able to leverage what they've done and and generate a lot you know the business that they should be getting from it so i like working with so that that's kind of the company that i like working with and i and typically speak to all b2b that i do a lot of it's in tech but i love business consultancy right and professional service organizations because they have a huge amount of insight in the business that they're not using, right? And a huge amount of credibility that they're not uh, leveraging. Uh, mm. and, and it's interesting. So I was working with um, an international pitch coach, uh, and, and her clientele is actually quite similar. So she helps scientifically based uh, uh, companies who are doing some incredible work in incredible areas, so in like uh, areas of disease and water shortage and environment, these incredibly clever people doing incredibly clever things that will actually eventually solve a lot of these problems. But she, and she's helping them to generate uh, investment. We, we call her the, I can't remember what it is now, I think it's is it the 10 billion euro lady, because that's how much she's raised, right? 10 billion euros, because, you know, the level of work that she's, of her clients that do it. Um, But the challenge that they have is very similar, that they put together these pitch decks and they're, because they're very technical people, they're typically filled with very technical, thick, jargonistic language and that, that that's no good for for the investment community because they're just interested in well what's the story what's the problem how much money am i going to make uh and 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 so her job is to kind of create narrative and help these people look at what they have that's you know demonstrates their credibility who's on the team who's on the board uh, how big is the problem what's the story behind the problem uh, you know l- very little about how you solve the problem but what's the kind of upsides that are going to happen once you get out there and you put your solution into into place and so and that's the kind of business that I like working for huge amounts of insight typically quite technical quite complex in terms of what they do and struggling to sell because what they're doing is leaning into that complexity and the market's going, I don't understand. Or the market's like, well, you look, just kind of look very similar to everybody else operating out there, right? Mm. I've done a bit of work with, with accountants. Now, on the surface, most accountants look the same, right? They do a bit of tax, right? Mm. Uh, they do audit, uh, they, you know, it's all... All that it's, there's not much to separate them, but actually, when you dig under the surface and you look at the kind of clients that they help, you look at the kind of problems those clients bring to them, you look at the kind of results they get, the impact they've achieved, the experience that motivates the approaches that, that achieve those results. They are very different companies across the board, and there's some great companies, there's some not so great companies. 
And so for me, it's all the, the problem that I love to solve is to go into a business and say, right, you're struggling to grow. You're struggling to leverage what you're doing. Let's have a look at it. Let's throw it all out onto the table. And then it's my job to take all those pieces of the puzzle and put them together so that when we go out to market, the market goes, wow, what an amazing company. Mm. Do you ever get companies coming to you um, where it's more about, say, like damage limit- limitation, reputation management, where they've screwed up in some way and they, and they want your help? So I don't do a huge amount of crisis relations uh, uh, because it is a very um, specific skill set and it's not something that I've done loads of. What we have done and what I have done recently is uh, some crisis planning work because I suppose my one of my uh, main skills is around messaging, positioning, uh what clients, what, what businesses do and, and, you know, just helping them to establish themselves as the leader in their field. So messaging, uh, what, what they say, positioning, how they say it is very important in the work that I do. So I've been doing some kind of crisis planning and that's where you can see that there may be a problem in the future and then address, uh, creating the coverage to, sorry, creating the message, uh, and the script should the worst happen and it make its way into the uh, into the public domain. Um, so I do a lot. I do crisis planning. I would say, but I don't do crisis relations, which is where a company finds itself in a difficult spot and needs to respond very quickly to to what's happening. Mm. Have you? Can you think of any examples where you've been on the receiving end of a really good um, experience that that you weren't expecting? So uh, yeah. And it happened quite recently, actually, um, was with my wife and I. My wife took me to the Me Hotel in London for my birthday this year. Um, and, I mean, it's, to be fair, it's it's an, an incredible experience, right? So my expectation, I had some expectation. But we, 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 we treat ourselves, my wife and I, when, when, for our anniversary, for birthdays, um, you know, different times of the year. You know, at least two times a year we'll go away and we'll, we'll do a night stay in a hotel. So we, you know, I've, I've got experience with different hotels and I've stayed in a fairly nice hotel. Um, so we went to the Me Hotel, but it just the experience of it blew me away anyway because the way that they have created the environments in these hotels are so sensory. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, the, and well, everything. So the music, the the way everything's been designed, the, down to the smell. So every every single area of the hotel, different area, had a different smell, and each smell was kind of like just overtook the senses. So it was just, it, yeah. I mean, blew me away. Exceeded my expectations from the moment I got in there, from the service to the environment to the experience to everything. It was just a one. And then we went into the bedroom. And it was a nice bedroom, you know, it, was, it wasn't necessarily anything special, it was just very, it was nice, it was really nice. But, and she hadn't said, she just said it was my, it was my birthday, which she hadn't said, could you do this, this, or the other? She just said, no, it's my husband's birthday, is there something you could do? So we walked into the bedroom, and there was like uh, this mirror where they kind of uh, put happy birthday, and there was balloons, and then they set up uh, a like uh, a little birthday party around this little table and there was cheesecake and there was cake and there were candles and everything and it was just like wow that, this it's incredible I mean you know it was just it was just an amazing experience and I you know I don't really celebrate my birthday 
But it was kind of like, wow, I really feel like I'm celebrating my birthday for the first time in, in ages. So it was, uh, it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. So taking you back to your childhood. Very much so. Very much so. You know, kind of, you know, because when you're younger, uh, and you are that much more present, aren't you? So, and, and experiences are so new that you, you do get yourself, you find yourself sucked into those experiences and you become very, very present. Uh, and I, yeah, that's exactly what happened, I would say, uh, on, on this, this uh, night away. It was kind of like, yeah, very childlike, kind of that joy, that wonder. Uh, it, it was wonderful. Where did you say the Me Hotel? Where the Me Hotel. So it's down by the Aldwych, so okay. just just south of Covent Garden, down there. I'm not exactly sure, but it's M E. We called it the Me, but I think it's the M E Group. It's a Spanish right. hotel group, maybe. But yeah, well worth well worth checking out. Incredible, just incredible. Mm. And, and I know you, because you were telling me as well about you had another, um, maybe not quite as amazing experience as that, but was it Just Eat? Yeah, so this is, so, you know, it's funny, isn't it? I think uh, cabin fever certainly increases. <laughs> There's not just, it, it kind of increases the enjoyment of stuff, doesn't it, in, in a way, because you kind of, you're not allowed to do things. And then when things happen that, that kind of bring about a certain sense of normality, you're like, oh my God, this is just the worst thing. So, uh, uh, you know, it was, and I, I guess I was, when I think about it, I've seen this happen with taxi companies, but it was just so novel with, in this context, and it just blew me away a bit. So we made, we, we, we had made this order for takeaway food. And first of all, I didn't realize that you could still get takeaway. So just the idea of getting takeaway was incredible. Uh, mm. and we got, and I, yeah, I have to say the restaurant's name is a place called Bannerman's in Radler. And anybody who likes burgers, this is the place to go for burgers. It's seriously good. I think it's like a street food restaurant. So it's all very barbecuey and it's, it's just delicious. So that was, mm. that, that exceeded the expectation anyway. But what was lovely was that, um, you know, so we made the order through Just Eat. We got a bing on the phone when the food was leaving the restaurant. And you kind of think, well, yeah, that, I need to know that. I want to know that. Because normally I, I'm the one phoning up the restaurant going, oh, you know, I made the order half an hour ago. And uh, can you just tell me what's going on? And, and they'll be like, yeah, 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 your order's just leaving the building, right? So and you're kind of like, mm, is it? So to kind of get that message was, was, was a real boon. And then, you know, obviously because of... You can't have too much contact. We then got another message saying, you know, your food, your food will be rising shortly. So it was just, it was a very small thing, but it meant so much, certainly mm. during this difficult time. Mm. What, what generally do you, do you, what's the, what does the phrase exceed expectations mean to you? Well, for me, it means going above and beyond. So it's mm. about, um, so. I think it's a fine line, isn't it? Uh, I think it, over delivery is—it's not necessarily over delivery because that—that—that's not necessarily a good thing for businesses. There's always a certain amount of over-servicing that takes place in any client-supplier relationship, and that's kind of a given. But um, over going above and beyond is more about uh, people, and I and I, I think about. The, the stories that you told me during our work together. And it's about helping people to enjoy the experience of working with you, right? And helping them to understand 
what that experience is going to look like up front and then delivering on that experience all the way along and doing things. So, so Just Eat is actually a very good example in this respect. It's about doing things that go the extra mile that you would have done anyway, but making them a lot more visible, right? So with you, it's all about, well, look, I know, you know, you don't just work with the bride and the groom and the, or, and the mother of the bride. I'm sure she gets involved quite a lot. But you go out there and you speak to a lot of the family, right? And you make sure that by the time everybody's sat in the reception waiting for everything to go off, they all know you. They've all had a great experience with you. They all kind of are brought into what's going to happen. You've kind of worked with them to optimise the experience so that you're not just the guy on the decks playing the music. You're the chap who's generated the experience itself, right? So when when everything goes off as it should and it's a brilliant event and the people are saying that was probably one of the best weddings I've ever been to, the bride and groom aren't saying, well, we had some good music. They're coming to you saying, thank you so much, for making this the best night of our lives, right? And that, and that, you haven't done anything that you wouldn't normally do. What you've done is you've made yourself very visible. You've shown them, helped them experience the service all the way along by reaching out to them, making sure you're in communication the whole time, by ensuring that communication is achieving a specific result so that by the time you get to the end of it, they're like, yeah, you're the best I've ever had, right? And, and that's what exceeding expectations is for me. And, and I think that, the reason why I think that is because it's a, a lesson that was taught to me by a chap called Nick Morris, who, who was my mentor and manager at my first B2B agency, and we're, we're still very much in contact. Uh, and, and, you know, he's still very much a supportive role for, for the work that I do. But he taught me something very important. He said, when you're dealing with clients, you must always think two steps ahead. You must think about what it is that they are expecting and make sure you meet that expectation before they have to ask for it. Now, that's not about necessarily going out there and doing work that they're not expecting you to do, but it's about um, making sure that you're in constant contact, that they, that they understand where you are at in a certain process, so that they can see how long it's going to take, they can feel comfortable that things are being done, that there's constant reporting so that they never feel like things aren't happening. Uh, and that you know, and that you you help them to understand exactly what has happened, why it's happened, and what the impact of that uh, has been. So, like, so, so what I mean by this, you know, I'll pick up the phone and I'll phone my my uh, clients and I say, listen, and I do this to this day, and I've been doing it certainly very much during this whole uh, uh, coronavirus um, type of period. Is phoning up clients to say, look, uh, I think you know certain aspects of the work. Aren't, we're not going to be able to do quite in the same way that we've been doing. But there's another opportunity to do things slightly differently. Shall we have a chat about how we're going to approach the work over the next three, four months, right? And that, for me, you know, so the journalist, so the client hasn't had to phone you up and say, what are we going to mm-hmm. do? You phone them up proactively and you said, listen, things have changed. We need to change our stance. This is my thoughts. What do you think? And then they're like, wow, who is this guy? Right, I haven't had to chase him. I haven't had to 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 ask him to do something. He's just doing it off his own back. And I think that is how you exceed expectations. You get into the head of your client and you say, "What is it they need?" And you get there before they've even had to ask for it. And and what you just said there, it really boils down to well, one is about communication, but really going beyond what they expect as far as communication is concerned. And and it's very simple things as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of it, isn't it? Actually, when you... 
I don't know. This is probably going to be a sweeping generalisation, but I think our expectations are quite low these days when it comes to service. You know, we've been sold a kipper so many times. I, I think the the uh, example I like to use is around um, home broadband, right, or internet. And how many times have we been sold, yeah, come and join the network with the fastest speeds and you will enjoy lightning fast internet and you'll be watching movies in 4K like you've never believed and you'll be having, playing games and the whole house will be kind of on fire as you're kind of all enjoying these incredible new entertainments that we can stream directly to your home and then you get it. And, you know, uh, you, you can't get anywhere near the speed that you want because either you're miles away from the exchange or because actually everybody else is on the same um, service and, and they're having to throttle um, the, the, the speeds that you get and all this kind of stuff. And then when something goes wrong, you're on the phone for hours trying to just trying to talk to somebody, right? And we've all had experiences like that. So um, I think expectations around service are really, really low. Uh, and what, I, what, what you find in, as I, as I said, I've done a lot of work in tech. And what you find in tech is that uh, actually service becomes very, very important. Uh, I mean, it always is very important, but, but companies start to focus on it, especially when markets start to commoditize, right? And when mm. margins start getting um, much smaller and everything starts looking the same, the best way to, to differentiate in those times is to increase service. So actually, th- there is a massive opportunity now as people look at how, well, who is it that I want to align with? Right? Who, what kind of business do I want to be my supplier? Who do I want to partner with? And what they're going to be looking for is a number of things. They, they will certainly be looking at the, the relevance of you as the supplier. So what's your experience? What's your expertise? What's the results that you can achieve for me? So those things are given. They have to be uh, right in order for somebody to choose you. But then they'll look at, do you feel right? Right, and this is the stuff that's actually going to motivate the purchase. So those first those three things, as important as they are, and they're table stakes, people aren't going to buy off those things. Those are just going to put you into the mix, right? Mm. But they're going to look at how they feel about you, right? So, um, what are your values? Um, what, what, how, what's your communication style? What's your personality? Um, how do I feel about what you're saying? Uh, how do I feel about what other people are saying about you? So what's kind of the third party um, uh, a testimony or case study? Uh, so there's all these things and it's much more feeling based. Right? And service is much more feeling based. Um, and, and so you have to, and it, and it really is, we need to move away from these more rational ways of trying to engage people and engage them in a much more kind of emotional way. And so people will be looking at culture, values, principles, personality. Those are going to become very much more important. And, and of course, service is an incredibly important element of that because it's through service that you really demonstrate that you can do what you've said that you can do. Mm. If, if people want to, to get more information on some of the things that you're doing and what you offer, where, where would they go? So uh, I, for if it's kind of traditional PR stuff, uh, my website is uh, 9mmpr.com. That's 9mmpr.com. Uh, now, the reason it's called 9mm is um, there's kind of two stories for this. Um, one's official, one's non-official. Uh the official story is, well, 9mm is a, is a calibre of bullet, right? And so the idea was that it's all about high impact and targeted communications, uh, which was a lucky mis- uh, thing, actually, because uh, 
the real, the real reason that I that I chose it was because I don't know anything about guns or, or caliber of bullets, to be honest. But I remember in the original Terminator movie, uh, mm. Arnie goes into a gun store and he asks for an Uzi 9mm and it kind of just stuck in my head. So uh, so that's why uh, 9mm PR is, is the, the PR side of the work we do. But I've also got, and this might be more interesting to uh, some of your, your, your listeners, uh, I have a uh, another part of the business which is uh, the sales sweet spot. And the, the website is findyoursalesweetspot.com. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's much more around strategy, uh, and the imp- implementation of communication campaigns. Uh, and on that, there is a, a new ebook, a new guide that we've just created called, um, uh, how to tell stories that sell. And that, that's again, you know, when thinking about how to differentiate yourself, one of the best ways to differentiate any businesses through the stories that you tell. And, and making sure that those stories are meaningful to the people that you want to attract. And, and the challenge with a lot of kind of case studies or customer stories is that they actually focus on the wrong things. And so in this guide, I talk you through, uh, you know, the psychology of a, of a good customer story and why it works so, so well, uh, the kind of mistakes that people make a lot of time when looking at their customer stories and creating their customer stories, and then a, a framework for actually creating really strong customer stories that will resonate with, uh, with your target market. Fantastic. And well, I believe you've got, um, I mean, we always end the show with a quote and or a book, and I think you've got both, haven't you? Yes. So um, the book is uh, The Challenger Sale, uh, and, and I highly recommend this. Uh, and, it, and it fits quite nicely into uh, this whole idea of exceeding expectations as well. Um, and it's, it's very much around B2B. So it's, it's more for B2B providers. But it, it offers interesting um, ideas and insight for, for anybody. And it's really this idea that the best salespeople, and this is scientifically, you know, it's been demonstrated by research, by through numerous studies that are, I, they go over in the book. But the idea is that the best salespeople are actually the people that challenge their market to think differently, right? to look at their businesses and to well, what, what good challenges do uh, is they actually help people to see competitive advantage that they haven't seen themselves. Uh, and, and that's really what buyers are looking for, right? So anybody can provide a service. What they're looking for are people who can help them to elevate their business. And that typically means finding routes to um, competitive advantages that they haven't seen themselves. And, and, and through the book, you could, they gives you the, the process of doing that. Uh, so, so highly recommend the challenges now. Um, and then the, uh, the quote is, instead of focusing on the competition... Focus on the customer. And that's by a guy, who, the guy said that is Scott Cook, who's the uh, co-founder of Intuit. And he's also involved in, in eBay and a number of other businesses. But he's, uh, he's uh, a billionaire businessman. And the reason why I like this quote so much is, A, because for me, if you're going to be a successful business, you have to focus on your customer because nobody cares about your business they really do your, your market does not care about who you are what you do um, they only care about it when they can see a value in it 
for themselves. So that question of what's in it for me. And so if you're doing anything, you should always focus on your customer first. And the reason I like this idea instead of focusing on your competition is because actually sales and marketing to a certain extent is like a game of golf, right? So you're not, you're not, you're not, it's not about necessarily being better than your competition. It's about being the best version of yourself you can be. Because if you're going to win, you know, like uh, if you're Rory McIlroy, you're going to win if the best version of Rory McIlroy steps up on the day that he plays golf, right? Because actually the best version of McIlroy, McIlroy could just annihilate anybody else in the field. And so, and it's the same with um, with marketing and sales, right? So really, you're not, you don't need to work. Your 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 marketing is is going to look at different uh, options, right? It's only going to look at their options. But if the best version of you steps up to the plate every time that you step out, more often than not, you're going to get chosen. Well, Alex, thank you for your for sharing all your wisdom and um, and letting yeah giving people some um, yeah some thoughts and ideas about how to maybe better use PR and, and maybe people will be uh, getting in contact with you as well. Tony, thank you very much for the time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Okay, thanks, Alex. Cheers. Next week is episode eighty six with a lady called Miley Jacks. She's um, spoken at places like Funnel Hacker Live. She's shared stages with Gary Vaynerchuk, Tony Robbins, and many other very well-known people. She's a content content creation and strategy expert. And we're going to be finding out a lot more about how... Well, she gives some great advice on how you can give customers better service and better experiences. That's next week's episode with Marley Jacks. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Please do share it with someone who would get some real wisdom from, um, well, get some benefit from some of the wisdom that Alex shared and leave a, a review for us and why not subscribe as well. Hope you have a fantastic week.